We're going to have some fun today in God's Word. We like having fun in church, don't we? All right. Well, turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 8. I'm going to write it down right here. And I hope that if you're in the back and your eyes aren't very good, I hope that you can still read it. Daniel 8. I'm going to read this whole text to you in Daniel 8, and then we're going to go through it together. So let's go. It says, In the third year... Of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. That's talking about what we just read in chapter 7 last week. And I saw in the vision, and when I, I saw, I was in Susa the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I, that's fun to say, Ulai Canal. You just say that a few times, you'll have fun. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue him, rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from, across, came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. So it's like a levitating goat. That's what we're reading in the Bible today. It's a flying goat. <laughs> well, it is. It is. And the goat had a, I'm just telling you, that's what it is. A go, the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great I just in picture, I see your faces. It's awesome. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, the east, and the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, together with the regular burnt offering, because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one who said to the, to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near to where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that this vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. And for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Medea and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. 
As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise after him from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints." By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. I can't imagine why. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Anyone else, like, kind of with Daniel, and you don't really quite know what's going on there? Like, I kind of just came into this with no context at all for you. It is a bit of a different text in the Word of God, isn't it? We've been going through Daniel verse by verse, and we have come into this section of Daniel, including Daniel chapter 8 that we just read, and it is a prophecy. Somebody say prophecy. 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 Now, oftentimes when you're reading prophecy in the Bible, it's kind of written that way. There's a lot of imagery, a lot of symbolism. You, you might not quite know what's going on when you first read it. That means you read it right, by the way. Don't think, I don't know what's going on. I must have read it wrong. No, you're on track. You're good. Okay, so Daniel 8 is a prophecy. Daniel 8 is God saying, hey, here's something that's coming down the tunnel at you, and you need to know what's coming so that you can be prepared when it comes. Remember we talked about the pothole last week? You need to know the pothole's coming ahead so you don't lose your car in it. Remember, ringing a bell? So that's what's happening here as well. And I'm here to tell you today that Daniel chapter 8 contains one of the most amazing prophecies in the whole Bible. And that's no small claim either, because remember last week we said that at the time of its writing, about 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature. In other words, there's a lot of prophecy in it. And this in Daniel 8 is actually one of the most accurate, detailed, jaw-dropping, wow God prophecies in the whole Bible. Am I selling it well for you so far? Okay. Now, some of the things that, have ha that are written in Daniel 8 have happened since they were written. We'll talk about that. Some of the things written in Daniel 8 have not yet happened, even 2,500 year, 2, years after it was written. Still haven't happened yet. For the things that have happened since it was written, and, and we look back on them already having happened from our day, Here's what we're going to do today. In order to make sense of this prophecy, this is going to sound bad, but stay with me. We actually have to look to history outside the Bible to figure out what this is talking about. Gasp. Now, before you throw things at me, that does not mean that the Bible is incomplete or the Bible is lacking or we need a whole bunch of extra resources other than the Bible. I got to tell you something. We take a really high view of the Bible here in this church. We do. And if you take a low view of the Bible... We welcome you. We're glad you're here. You're probably not going to like it here very much, okay? High view of the Bible. This is God's word, God's inspired word. This is everything we need right here. And God, in his word, he's told us everything he wants us to know, right? It's not like, oh, I forgot a couple pages. Oops. No, God tells us exactly what he wants to tell us. But the Bible does not contain, you know, 
a history of every single moment that's ever happened in every place of the world, every event that's ever taken place, does it? No. So, and again, that doesn't mean it's lacking. It means God just didn't feel the need to talk about that in his word. But we have this privileged position in history. This was written 2,500 years ago, and time has passed, and some of the prophecies have already happened, and we get to look back using history books and see how it came to pass. And a matter of fact, I would submit this to you. It's not, again, saying that anything's lacking in God's word. What we're gonna see today and seeing how history caught up with the Bible, all it does for me is serve to increase how amazing this book is. It just, it just serves to say, wow, this, this must be God. You'll see, you'll see. Oh, I'm getting excited. Okay, as I said a second ago, history always catches up with the Bible. Things that happen in history, it's like, oh yeah, God predicted that already always the way that it goes. And this here first thing right here, okay, let's just talk about this. It says in verse one of Daniel eight, in the third year of Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar was the king of Babylon. We talked about him a few weeks ago in Daniel chapter five. In the third year of his reign, it was about-ish, give or take a year or two or three or something. It was happening in about 548 BC. Can y'all read that okay? If you're in the back, you might have to come sit at the front. That's all right. 548 BC, okay? We'll just leave that right there for you. That's when this prophecy was uttered and written. And it was during the reign of Belshazzar. He was a godless king. Society uh, was depraved. It was not a godly place in Babylon. It was a kind of culture where if you were a person who belonged to God, you'd probably look around and go, oh, like how bad is it gonna get here? That might sound strikingly similar to the culture you live in in 2023 as one of God's people, right? Sometimes that's how we are. Oh, like things are just bad in the world and society is just going like this right off the side of the cliff. How long is it gonna last? Well, good news for you. This is exactly the context that Daniel lived in and God showed up in that context. Right? God wants to show up in our context in our day. For as bad as the world is and all the craziness that's going on in the world and how godless the culture and society are, God is still God. He's still on his throne. Amen? Amen. Amen. So God shows up. He gives a vision to Daniel, it says. And this vision is all about kings and kingdoms of the earth. That seems to crop up about every chapter in the book of Daniel. He doesn't have a vision about something else. It's always kings and kingdoms of the earth. And the reason why, the reason we keep coming back to this theme of kings and kingdoms of the earth, it's simply this. It's so we can be reminded who the true king is, right? We're looking at this survey of all these kings and we're gonna talk about them today. And what that should serve to do in our minds is, oh, right, I know the real king. His name is Jesus. I know the real king who sits on a throne, a throne of righteousness, an everlasting king, who's the king of the greatest kingdom in history and that ever will be. And his name is Jesus. In our dark day, we need to hold on to that. Now, it goes on to say, on the next slide, it talks about this ram. It says, I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa the Citadel, the province of Elam, the Ulai Canal. I raised my, bank, uh, my eyes and saw, verse 3, a ram standing on the bank. So let's talk about the ram for a minute. The ram. Anybody dr drive a Dodge Ram out here? I don't. My car would fit in the back of your Dodge Ram, though. Anyway, never mind. Now, the ram, it goes on to say later, I think it's in verse 20, it says that the ram represents the kings of uh, Medea and Persia. So that's talking about the Medo-Persian Empire. 
And I see that the map has just sprung up on the screen. I love it. The Medo-Persian Empire, we've talked about them before in this series. They were the world's superpower from about 539 BC to about 330 BC. I'm just going to leave this up here. You can just look at it on our time, throughout our time here today. So they were the superpower in the world. You can see up here all the territory they conquered. That was much of the known world in those days. And their empire lasted for about 200 years as the superpower of the world. By the way, notice the date. This is when Daniel predicted it. This is when it started. So this is about 10 years later. This happened about 10 years after that. Now, it says in verse 2, if you could go back one slide, please. It says in verse 2, uh, Daniel saw he was in Susa, the citadel. Okay, can you hop to the next slide again? She's going to be mad at me. She's going to walk off the job. It's okay. Susa's that one in red right there. Now, when this was prophesied in 548-ish BC, Susa was not really that significant of a place. But after the Persian Empire took over, they set Susa up as one of their administrative capitals in their whole empire. So again, even 10 years before, it's like, what are you doing in Susa? That's like way out in the sticks in the middle of nowhere. But some short years later, it was this super important place. And Daniel seeing himself in Susa was actually prophetic right there because later he went and served in the court of the king of Persia in Susa. Now, it says, I saw a ram. Now the ram represents power. Somebody say power. And it had two horns. Both of them were high, it said. Two great sources of power. Remember, the ram represents the kings of Medea and Persia. Now, it says that one horn was higher than the other. We talked about this before. The Medo-Persian kingdom, they merged. They were two kingdoms, Medea and Persia, that formed one empire. But the Persian side of things was always more dominant and significant in that. It's like when Grand Bay Westfield merged. Okay, it's one town now, but Grand Bay's like way bigger and better. I don't know. That wasn't that bad. I've said way more controversial things than that. Anyway, that's hilarious. Okay. Anyway, again, this was before that took place, but there it comes to pass. Now, it says that this ram charged west and north and to the south. Interestingly, when the Medo-Persian Empire came into power, that's the way they started doing most of their conquests. There's lots of territory and land to the east, to the right of that, but they didn't really go that way. They went to the west and to the north and the south. It's interesting. You can go read your history book. God even prophesied before they did it, here's how their military conquests are gonna go. It said that no one could stand before this ram. No one could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased. He became great. Medo-Persian Empire was undisputedly the world superpower for 200 years. And again, I will remind you, God predicted that before it happened. You still with me? Okay. So now the plot thickens. It starts talking about the goat, the floating goat. That's right. The flying goat. You came to church today. Thank you for being here. Hilarious. Now, the goat, it says in verse 21 that the goat represents the king of Greece. Somebody say Greece. Not the movie, like the country. The Greek empire. The Greek Empire, they came around 
a couple hundred years after this. They existed from about 356 B.C. to... No, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. You wait now. I got a lot of dates. It's hard to keep them all track. Forget I wrote that. Now, the Greek Empire, the goat represents the king of Greece. It says in verse 5 that a goat came from the west without touching the ground. It came from across the face of the earth. Now, if you look, uh, there should be a map coming up. There should be a map of Greece. Yes, there it is. Now, Greece is on the top left of that. I don't have a laser pointer and I can't reach that high, but it's up on the top left of the red part. And see how their kingdom swooped like this all to the right and to the south? God predicted that hundreds of years before it happened. It says that there was a horn between the eyes of this goat and the horn represents a king. It represents one specific person in the history of the world. And it's, his name's written right there. Do you see that in the bold on the left? What's his name? Alexander who? Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great was one of the first kings of the Greek Empire. And he lived, here's where I got ahead of myself, he lived from 356 B.C. to 323 B.C., And under his command, he was one of the most significant, even people today, there's classes you can take about Alexander the Great and his military strategy and how he pulled this off. It's mind-boggling. That's literally even more of the known world than the Persian Empire had. And he did it at a young age and he did it quickly, right? It says that he, that's why the flying goat, right? He never touched the ground. That's speed. He's going fast. He got places to be and territory to conquer. God predicted that. Now, Alexander the Great lived 200 years after this was predicted. Right here, you see that? 200 years. Are you seeing that? Somebody help me. Okay, 200 years, and it says that he struck and broke and trampled the ram. Guess what history tells us happened? In the year 330 BC, the Greek empire wiped out the Persian empire, and they became the superpower in the world. 200 years later, that's God. Somebody say, that's God. That's God. God. Now, It says that the goat became exceedingly great in verse 8. Again, superpower of the world. And it's not even just the territory that the Greeks conquered. Greek philosophy was spread through their conquest. Greek uh, medicine, right? We have like even the Hippocratic Oath today. That came from ancient Greece. We have something called a democracy in our country. That originated in ancient Greece. They were massively influential. We owe a lot of the things that are built and baked into the fabric of our society and a culture to the Greeks, it came from them. The, horn beca- the goat became exceedingly great, but it says in verse eight, when he was strong, the great horn was broken. The great horn is Alexander the Great. And look, he was not very old when he died. He was 32 years old. At the height of his strength, at the height of his conquest, he dies. It's just a reminder, by the way, this is not really the point of the sermon. You never know how much time you have, right? So take your time seriously. Walk with God today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So don't put off till tomorrow what you need to do today. Now, it says, stay with me. It's just, oh, oh. I'm nerding out. I've chained myself to the ground so I won't float away. 
Look what it says. It says, instead of it, instead of the great horn, instead of Alexander the Great, there came up four conspicuous horns. How many horns? Four. Four. Same here in Daniel 8, 22, as for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, they represent four kingdoms that shall arise from his kingdom, his nation, but not with his power. Guess what history tells us what happened? Alexander the Great died young. It's a bit graphic. He had two young sons. They were executed after their father died. That's just kind of the way they did business back in those days. And there became a big scramble for who was going to rule his kingdom. And guess what happened? The kingdom of Alexander the Great was divided into, guess how many parts? Four. Four parts. Four parts. And you can see that on the map up there as well. After Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was given to four of his generals since he had no heir, right? Since his sons were uh, executed. And the four generals he divided his kingdom amongst, their names, I will do my best, their names were Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. Ptolemy. It's kind of a cool name. And that's how the kingdom was divided amongst the four of them. Now, again, 200 years. And it happened just like that, just like God said. Now, the plot even thickens some more. It says in verse 9, out of one of them, out of one of the four divided kingdoms, I was supposed to write that, four generals. Oops, can't spell. Out of one of these four kingdoms, there came a little horn. So what God is saying is out of Alexander the Great's kingdom, it's going to be divided into four parts, and out of one of these four parts, there's going to come another king. Luckily, I don't have a whole lot more to write because I'm running out of room. The little, yeah, I could flip it over, that's true. Out of one of those four kingdoms is going to come the little horn, another king. This is where it gets really interesting. I find it interesting already. Now, it says this king that's going to arise out of one of these four divided Greek kingdoms, it says he's going to be a king of bold face. He's going to understand riddles. He's going to be smart. He's going to have prowess. He's going to be formidable to his opponents. Now, this language of little horn, if you were with us last week, you'll remember this language was also in Daniel chapter 7. And we said that the little horn in Daniel 7 represents a future coming antichrist. Remember that? The Antichrist, you say, well, is this the same little horn in Daniel 8 as it is in Daniel chapter 7? Here's my answer, yes and no. It's two meanings to this little horn right here. It means, yes, and we'll talk about it, this is referencing the same Antichrist as we talked about last week, who's coming, we'll talk about him later, but it also represents someone who's coming right from this lineage in this way right here, Alexander the Great to the four generals to the little horn. So his name is not said right here, but I want to read to you verse 9 to 12. I don't know if it's all up there on the screen in one bit or not. I'm going to read this to you. Daniel 8, 9, out of one of them came the little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. By the way, that's talking about Israel. It grew great even to the host of heaven. 
And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and it trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering. Because of the transgression, it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. So, Again, it does not say his name. Oh, it is up there. Cool. It does not say his name. But again, if you read in your history books, it becomes very clear who this little horn is. It's talking about a specific person in history that's already passed us now. And with the little bit of room I have left, I'm going to write his name. It's referring to a guy whose name is Antiochus, not Hocus Pocus. I didn't say that. Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, if you've never heard of him, Allow me to tell you about him. That's the last thing I got to write, which is good, because I'm out. I'm out of space. Antiochus Epiphanes was a king who came out of one of these four divided kingdoms that started with Alexander the Great. He was king over the Seleucid part of the empire. If you go back to that last map we were just on with the different colors on it, it's the yellow one. It's the big one. He was a king who came from that dynasty and ruled that part of the kingdom. He reigned and ruled in this kingdom from 175 to 164 BC. I got to write it over here. 175 to 164 BC. That's when he reigned as king over the Seleucid Empire. Now again, 164. When was this prophesied? 548. This is almost 400 years later. And watch how detailed and accurate this is. This is crazy. Well, it's not because it's God. It says that he's going to come from the south and the east and, and to the glorious land. Again, you look at what his kingdom is there. He went straight to the south. And what did I say? The south and the east and the glorious land. He was known. This guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, was known for his persecution of Israel. That's the glorious land. It's kind of in the upper part of the green part toward the left. He was known for that. It says he grew great even to the host of heaven. The thing with this guy, if you read about him, and I encourage you, go home and read about this guy. I'm not making this up. He actually claimed to be God. Not like sort of, kind of, like he literally claimed he was God. Many people have done that throughout history. He's not the only one. But he came along and he said, I am God. He actually changed his name. When he was born, his name was, I won't say this right, it was Mithridates. But he changed his name to this. You know what Antiochus Epiphanes means? It means God manifest. In other words, I'm God and here I am. I've, no sh I've now shown up before you. Pompous, arrogant. He grew great even to the host of heaven. And look how big his kingdom is compared to the rest of the Greek ones. He is a strong, powerful king. And it says he's going to trample on the host. Now that word host means different things in different parts of the scriptures. A lot of scholars believe that here it's referring to the saints, God's people. He's going to trample on God's people, harass, oppressing them. And that's exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes did. He, for a few years, intense persecution against the people of Israel. Intense. You can go read about that. What it says that he did, it says in uh, Daniel 8.11, he's going to take away the regular burnt offering. Guess what happened? He took away the regular burnt offering. In 167 B.C., he marches into Jerusalem. Read your history book. It's in there. 167 BC, he marches into Jerusalem. He storms into the temple, which is to a God that he does not serve or care about, the true God. And he orders all sacrificing to stop. You got to be done. Stop it. Cut it out. 
Again, God predicted that 400 years before. Then it says the sanctuary is going to be overthrown. The sanctuary, the holy place in God's temple where God's presence dwelt on the earth, overthrown. On December 1st, 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes marches into the temple. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you. He marches into the temple and he sets up an idol to the false demon god Zeus. Just sets up an idol right in the sanctuary of the living God. Then on December 16th, 167, he starts offering pagan sacrifices on the altar of God. Some things in the Israelite customs and their law, some things were unclean for them to do. For instance, pigs were unclean to to Jewish people. Well, this guy here, he doesn't give a rip. He marches into the altar in the sanctuary and he starts offering pigs on the altar. And uh, history says that he would go and sprinkle pig's blood everywhere desecrating the temple, just like it was predicted. It said he's going to throw truth to the ground in verse 12. When Antiochus Epiphanes marched into the temple, he literally forbid some of the Jewish practices and customs and things from their law, right? He said, no more Sabbath. That was a hugely important thing in Israelite worship. No more Sabbath. He, he told them they could not practice circumcision on their sons anymore. And he literally forced them to adopt certain Greek habits. The history books tell us that he went to the high priest of Israel and forced the guy, forced him to eat a whole bunch of pork, which was unclean to him. This guy is a tyrant. This guy is totally anti-God, marches right into the sanctuary and does all this. It says that he, in verse 24, he's going to destroy mighty men and those who are the saints. It's estimated that Antiochus Epiphanes killed, on his watch, 40,000 Jewish people were killed, and a similar amount were sold into slavery. This guy's terrible. I hadn't heard of this guy a couple weeks ago, by the way. My mind was blown when I read all this, and again, how accurate... It is, but that's God for you. And you say, why did all of this happen? Why does this guy storm the temple and do all this damage to God's people of Israel? Well, it tells us why in verse 12. It says, because of transgression. This is where we gotta listen up. Because of transgression. Whose transgression? The transgression, the sin of God's people. You see, Daniel... We talked about this earlier in Daniel chapter 1... Daniel and the rest of the Israelites were taken into exile in Babylon. Remember that? Three of you remember it? The rest of you? Okay, we're going back to week one. (laughs) Daniel and his friends, they were already in exile. And they were in exile because of their disobedience to God. God's people were not listening to him. And he tried time and time and time again to get their attention. And they weren't listening to him. Right? We are God's people. That should resonate with us. We're not listening. So as an act of judgment and discipline, God sent them out of their homeland into exile in Babylon. Now that lasted for 70 years. That's a long time. Then they got to go home. But what God is predicting right here is, guess what? You're gonna go back home and you're still not gonna listen to me. You're gonna keep doing the things you're not supposed to do. You're gonna keep forgetting about me. You're gonna keep being idiots, basically. And he says, because of your transgression, all of this stuff is going to happen. Way down here in 160s BC, 400 years after it was predicted, right? There's a cycle. There's a pattern there. Just because you call yourself one of God's people, listen, do not think for one second God won't do whatever he needs to do to get your attention, to wake up. Because sometimes we do this as Christians. Oh yeah, I'm one of God's people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we just live however we want to live. And God says, I don't, want to, I don't want you to live that way. We say, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm doing my thing. God's fine with it. Actually, I'm not fine with it. You need to stop. You need to repent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, 
Warning. God will bring you low. He is not afraid, even you as a Christian. Now you don't lose your salvation, right? It's nothing like that, but God is not afraid to discipline those whom he loves. This is what he's predicting right here. So we gotta check ourselves on that. It says that this horn, this Antiochus Epiphanes, his power shall be great, but not by his own power. So what that seems to imply is that God gave him this power to do all these things. And that, this comes right back to this mind-boggling concept. We've talked about it a couple of times in Daniel already. There is no one, past, present, or future, that will sit in any sort of throne or seat or position of authority anywhere in the world, anytime in history. There's no one who gets into a place of authority without God knowing about it or God actually putting them there. Even the evil ones, God uses them. Our little brains have trouble getting onto that. So, well, why would God put this horrible person in leadership over my country? It's what he does. And God uses them. Nothing happens that's a surprise to God. God used this evil tyrant to discipline his people because he loves his people. If you're one of God's people, God loves you. You need to know that today. But God put him here. God will use him for his purposes. But double-edged sword here. It says in verse 25, this guy's going to rise up against the prince of princes. So even though he was being used by God, he was totally evil, wanted to be God, declared war on God. It didn't end well for him. As a result, it says he shall be broken. Broken. Even though he looks super great, super powerful, unstoppable maybe, he's going to be broken, but by no human hand. You know what that means? God's going to do away with him this evil person. And if you look again in the history books, Antiochus Epiphanes, it didn't go well for him. First of all, there was a huge riot that started in Israel because of the stuff he was doing. It's called the Maccabean Revolt. You can go look up, it's the whole thing. It happened in history in the 160s BC. And after that, in 164 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes died. No one actually knows how he died. Certain people attribute it to, to a divine judgment. God just said, you're done. That's unclear. But the point is, God caused all this to happen. You seeing that today? This, right, all of this doesn't just happen, right? Someone, something is clearly directing this. This is way too specific. I, I don't know how much faith you have. This is way too specific to, to all be a coincidence. There's no way, no way. You think of all the different places this could have gone off the rails. It didn't because of God. So what's my point in that? We can trust him. One other thing in this, it says in verse 13, how long will this last? How long will all this desecration of the temple last? And the angel responds and he says, 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now, when we read that, it looks like he's saying a literal 2,300 days. However, a lot of scholars believe it's talking about a different number of days because the way this is rendered literally means morning, evening, 2300. And what this is a reference to is there were two sacrifices per day in the temple. If you know anything about Israel history, that's how it would go. They would do a sacrifice in the temple in the morning and a sacrifice in the evening. So after, uh, after 2300 of those, well, two per day, 2300 divided by two is 1,150. You say, why do I care? I don't, I don't like math. Well, I don't really either. However, 1,150 days is just over three years. Guess how long the persecution in Jerusalem lasted? Just over three years. 
You can't make this up. And critics of the Bible hate Daniel chapter 8 because it's so accurate. They say it had to have been written later. It was not. This is God. We got to pay attention. We got to wake up to this. So this vision, I'll sum up, is partly to show the rise and fall of worldly kingdoms that would come along after Daniel's time. The the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek empire, it's splitting after Alexander the Great's death into four kingdoms. And out of one of those four kingdoms coming this little horn who does all this terrible stuff to the people of God. That's what this is talking about. And God uses the world's biggest superpowers of multiple generations and centuries to accomplish his will. Somebody say, wow, God. That's pretty cool. I just want to speak this to you today. This is a picture of the fact that God is in control. God is on his throne. Right? You, you think about your life and all the problems that you have and all of the worries that you have and everything you see happening in the world right now, which you, you, sometimes, I don't know, if you watch the news a lot, it kind of makes you anxious a little bit. Here's what I want to say to you. God is in control. God is on his throne. Turn to your neighbor. Say, God is in control. Turn to your neighbor again and tell them, God is on his throne. And his word is accurate. And we can trust him. I don't know what you're wrestling with or dealing with today. You can trust God. I don't know what anxiety and fear you have today. You can trust God. I don't know where you think the future is going to go. You can trust the one who knows the future. His name is Jesus. Now, Got to do a little sidestep here. Remember I told you this thing about the little horn? This has two meanings, okay? We've explored one of them. It's talking about this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. It's also talking about something else. This is also a prophecy about the end times. dun dun dun, dun. You want to know where I got that from? In verse 17, it says, Understand, O son of man, that this vision is for the time of the end. See where I got that? And verse 19, I behold, I will make known to you what shall be uh, at the latter end of indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. end. It's right there. So this is dual meaning. It's talking about the end times as well. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes right here, this guy is a type. He is a foreshadowing of something that's to come, right? Yes, this already happened, but the end times, they haven't happened yet, amen? Amen. All this stuff that's going to happen, it's yet to take place. And he foreshadows this evil, wicked king who's going to be against God in the end. That's the Antichrist. We talked about him last week. Remember we said last week that the Antichrist, one singular, literal, real person in world history, he's going to emerge at the end times in, from this earthly kingdom that's going to rise up, and he's going to declare war on God and on God's people. Well, again... In Daniel 8, it says, at the end, verse 23, where transgressors have reached their limit, this is, what's, this is when it's going to happen. I'll remind you, here's what the Bible says. In the end times, people are going to get really bad, right? The hearts are going to grow cold. Love will grow cold. Anarchy is just going to rise in the world. It's not going to be a nice place to be. And here it is in Daniel 8 again, when transgressors have reached their limit, A king of bold face shall arise. This cocky, proud, arrogant, boldly doing wrong kind of king. That's the Antichrist. It says, his power shall be great, but not by his own power. 
The Antichrist, the Bible tells us, is literally going to be supernaturally fueled and empowered by Satan. That's what it says in Revelation 13, 4. And it's here in Daniel 8, it says in verse 24, he's going to cause fearful destruction. Remember last week we said the Antichrist is going to trample the whole earth. It's going to be global. It's not just, oh, it happened over there somewhere. The whole earth is going to be affected. It says here in Daniel 8, this person's going to destroy the saints. Remember last week in Daniel 7, the Antichrist is going to declare war on the saints and wear out the saints. Here it is again. Verse 25 of Daniel 8, he's going to rise up against the prince of princes. Last week in Daniel 7, we read about the Antichrist, that he's going to speak against the Most High God. Here it is again. And it says, he shall be broken, but by no human hand. Last week, remember what we read? Jesus shows up and he puts down the Antichrist. Here it is again. He's going to be broken by no human hand. Jesus. Jesus is going to take care of this. And it all happens. Look what it says, verse 19, at the appointed time of the end. You know what that means? God knows when the end is. Nothing is going to catch him by surprise. I get so irritated is not the right word. I'm not sure what the right word is. When Christians, Christians look at the state of the world and they watch the news and they freak out about all that's happening in the world. And is this the end times? And oh, what are we going to do? And da, da, da. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to look to Jesus because he's where our deliverance comes from, right? He's proven himself even just in Daniel 8. Look how faithful he is. Look how, look how trustworthy he is. When we think about the end times, yes, it's going to be bad. The Antichrist, all this. Of course, we don't like to think about that. But God wins. Jesus wins. And therefore, we win. Somebody clap for Jesus, please. He is in control of the past. He is in control of the present. He is in control of the future. My question today is this. Are you on his side? Yes. Right? If you're not a Christian, you need to know. You need to know all this judgment and all this stuff about Jesus and what he's going to do and the end of the world and stuff. All of this. If you are not a Christian and you are, you, you are not on side with Jesus, if you're not a Christian, if you've never been saved, if you've never repented of your sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior... Yes, the end times are going to come, or perhaps first the end of your life is going to come, and you're going to stand before Jesus one day and be judged, and you're going to pay based on all the things that you've done in your life. You're going to look at the, the books will be open. You're going to look and say, unrighteous, because none of us are righteous in and of ourselves, right? None of us. But if you're a Christian and you're saved, you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When you stand before him one day, He's going to look at you and the books are going to be open. He's going to say, you're righteous. You know why? Because of what he's done for you. We're not righteous by anything that we do. We're righteous by what Jesus has done for us. So we need to make sure, look, this is coming. The end is coming. You need to make sure you're on the right side of history. And again, don't put off till tomorrow what you need to do today. Don't say, well, I'll think about this Jesus stuff tomorrow. What if you don't get tomorrow? Just saying just saying. Got to do it today. And if you want help with that, or you have questions about that, come see me later. We'll talk. It'll be great. It'll be good. But all this, and then we're going to start wrapping up. All this stuff in Daniel chapter 8, it's showing who's in control. It's showing what's going to be coming. It's showing that God is willing to do whatever he needs to do to get the attention of his people, to make sure we're staying on track with him, and, and walking with him, and staying focused on him. And in spite of all the bad things that happen, and what will happen, he wins. That's Daniel 8. Now, that's almost Daniel 8, actually. I got one more verse to share with you. 
This here, very last verse of Daniel 8, it almost looks like it almost looks like it's just there because, okay, we're up in the air and we need some sort of verse that's going to get us back landed on the ground. And, and that's all it's there for. Oh, well, that's not true at all. Look at this. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. One of the most important verses in Daniel is right there. If you look at it in context, Daniel is all about kings and kingdoms of the earth and all the bad stuff that's going to happen and judgment and, and it's going to end well for us as Christians though. But look at that verse right there. I rose and went about the king's business. Let me tell you something today, friends. You have a king and he has business for you to see to. We cannot look at all this end time stuff and all this kings and kingdoms stuff and go, well, that's great. I'm just going to obsess over that. You can't just focus all your energy on the end days. Don't forget about the present day. Because yes, this is surely going to take place. The end will come, just as God says it's going to come. However, it's not just about then. It's about today too. God has stuff for you to do today. You, you can't sideline yourself today because of what's coming later. Listen, there are people that God wants you to minister to. There's this thing called the gospel that God wants you to share, the good news about Jesus with people. There are gifts that God has given you that he wants you to use today. There's things that God is calling you to be faithful in today. And I just love this because not only does God care about the big picture, right, literally overseeing and orchestrating the direction of history, he cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about our day to day. He cares about the little things in your life, the small, seemingly insignificant things, each step of faith that we take toward him and into his will. He cares about that. God cares about you. He cares about what you do. What you do matters, right? When you serve the kingdom of God, it matters. Even if no one else notices, it matters. So we need to take our cue from Daniel here. We gotta rise up and go about our king's business while today is called today. Today. 